Welcome to Stories from A to Z with Mona P. I'm your host, Mona Pasanoff. Today's guest is John Mueller, Special Forces Green Beret, Paratrooper, and Vietnam veteran. John is the husband of my friend and fellow podcaster, Susanna Mueller. Sue's podcast focuses primarily on the Cuban diaspora through her podcast, The Green Plantain. John needed to find someone else willing to share his voice. He requested me to interview him so that he could talk about his Vietnam experience, but more importantly, what Memorial Day really stands for in this country. It is my pleasure to share John's story here. When you have a chance, check out my stories from A to Z Facebook page. There's a photo collage of John and some he served with from that time period. Also, look on regular Facebook for the site he oversees, Special Forces Association Chapter 60. But the 60 is in Roman numerals, L-X. He'll mention it in the podcast. Hi, John. Welcome to my podcast. Thank you, Mona. Nice to see you again. Can you tell us a little bit about yourself, where you grew up, and where you live now? Sure, sure. Well, I I was born in Boston, Wisconsin, in the middle of the Cal State. My parents moved to Milwaukee when I was three. I have one younger brother and an older sister who's now deceased. My mother and father divorced when I was 12. Thereafter, I lived with my mother and my family struggled financially because of that. Since my mother worked at night, we kids were kind of left to our own devices during the day. And consequently, I really didn't do well in school when I was younger. My brother and I would fight, fight, frequently, and my sister was really not around uh, that much. I was able to graduate from high school, but my brother did not. College was out of the question for lack of money, so the alternative was either trade school, menial employment, or the military. Like a lot of young men, I wanted to get out of town. I was looking for adventure. I joined the U.S. Army out of that desire. Not as much for patriotism, more I wanted a a change of scenery, and certainly I got that. I also decided to volunteer a second time after I joined the Army for uh, paratroop training, which I heard was quite difficult, and that kind of appealed to me at the time. Uh, The esprit de corps that they had as a unit appealed to me also. I went down that route. The recruiter, interestingly enough, when I was sitting across from him at the at his desk, said to me, son, you know, if you join uh, this particular group of men, at that time, that was all it was. There was no um, uh, female uh, paratroops at the time. The chances of you being sent to Vietnam, which was raging at the time, are about 100%. I thought about it, but I said, you know, I want to go forward with this. Uh, this seems like a challenge I want to accept. I signed on the dotted line at that point. The good news was that the unit itself was all volunteer because very few men at the time that were getting drafted chose to volunteer again for more more hazards than they were looking for. 
that also appealed to me because I felt at the time, gee, if I'm going to be fighting, I want somebody next to me who also volunteered to do this, not somebody that was dragged, kicking and screaming into the unit. That's where I eventually ended up. To this day, I never regretted that choice. As far as how I arrived where I am now in Brandon, Florida, the various training schools I went through in the Army, the two deployments that I went through in Vietnam, and later on during the years that I spent in the reserves and the National Guard, I eventually met Susan with a, a soldier friend of mine, and we went out on a blind date for the first time. So I fell in love with her, and I moved then from where I was to uh, be with her. We started living uh, in uh, the Hialeah, Miami area for a while. Susan and I left the Miami area after a few years. I was given a transfer by my employer, a management company at the time that sent me to Tampa, and we relocated here in 1983, and so far, we're still here. Excellent. I know that we're going to talk about Memorial Day and the importance of remembering those who we've lost, but when you talked about being a paratrooper, jumping into Vietnam, that really piques my interest. So did you actually jump into Vietnam and what was that like? What did you do? What was the purpose of the jumps? Sure, sure. We, we didn't per se jump into Vietnam. We did training jumps in Vietnam. We didn't do any combat jumps, or, or at least I didn't. My unit did, but I personally did not. The requirement for Army paratroopers is that you must perform at least one training jump every quarter, four times a year at minimum. Generally speaking, if you're not in a combat zone, you're jumping much more frequently. For example, yes, I did jump in Vietnam in a training capacity. One of the interesting jumps that I made there was with a scout dog team. There was a platoon, which would have been roughly 30 men with war dogs, as they were called at the time, that had gone through the training for the dogs to teach them how to manage themselves during a parachute jump and how to land properly without breaking their their legs. It was funny because I've never seen up until that point in time, a jump with dogs, but when the aircraft, which uh, was what's called a C-130 cargo plane, lowered their cargo doors in the back and the wind rushed in, you can imagine you're going about 250 miles an hour up about 1200 feet, the dogs got so excited, they all wanted to get out that door so quickly that it was just uh, the funniest thing to see. And when they did jump uh, with the dogs, the dogs would be released from where they car- the paratrooper would carry the dog right underneath his reserve chute. As soon as he exited the aircraft, he would lower the dog on a 20-foot line below him so the dog swung free back and forth and their legs would paddle as if they were gonna go into the water like crazy so that they would prepare to, to hit the ground and not hurt themselves. And, and it was all through the training that they went through the past two weeks at that particular site uh, that they trained those dogs in. And so anyway, it was a very interesting uh, jump for me on that, that particular day. Yeah, their legs were going like crazy. And you know, that's, that's really the key for most 
army paratroopers, which only jump because that's a way to get to work. That's it's not a an adrenaline thing. It's not for fun. It's not for anything else. Then it's like a commute. The normal way you make a, a combat jump is at night. You don't do it during the daytime, and you're also packing maybe a hundred pounds worth of gear. Not only do you have to jump the dog, you have to jump your own gear and food for the dog. You're just weighted down like crazy. That's just the, the nature of the beast though. So is it a different kind of parachute then to take on all that weight? No, that, that particular parachute that we jump with is good for up to 500 pounds. Most guys are, you know, 180 pounds, 200 pounds. And then the dog would be maybe another 60 pounds. And then the, your gear would be another 100 pounds. So you're still within the limits of that parachute. Thank you for that. My mm -hmm. dad was a parachute jumper in World War II. And oh, when wow. he, yeah, and when he was recruited in the 101st, is that? 101st Airborne, sure. Okay. Mm -hmm. Yeah, so he was told that the recruiter said, you'll get to see the whole world if you join up. We will fly you wherever you want to go. <laughs> he signed on the dotted line, and he oh. didn't get to go where he wanted. <laughs> yeah. During World War II, when they first developed that particular strategy of infiltration, because the Russians and the Germans already had built their own paratroop units up, the incentive was $55 extra per month for everybody who passed the, uh, the training. And $55 in 1941 was a lot of money. And these poor guys coming from the sticks in Arkansas and Nebraska and wherever, they thought that was, they were in hog heaven because of that extra income. So yeah, it was, it was a stimulating uh, process. Today, we are going to focus on the service piece related to Memorial Day. So I'm just going to let you talk a little bit about why that's important for people to be aware of. What do you want to tell us? Memorial Day, uh, of course, uh, is observed the last Monday in May, honors those men and women who served in the US military and who later died in that service to our nation. We must remember that those individuals, whether they were drafted or volunteered, were in a job unlike most civilian jobs, except for law enforcement, maybe. That would be a close um, symbol there. They signed on the dotted line during enlistment that they would sacrifice everything to complete the performance of their duty, including their lives. While we think of combat arms service members like infantry, armor, combat pilots, combat seamen, as the likely candidates for dying during a war, we must realize that support personnel like doctors, nurses, mechanics, communication personnel, and chaplains also died on some faraway piece of dirt or ocean that no one at home ever heard of. It, it was most likely the young who had the most to live for that bore the cost of our wars many with children and a spouse waiting for them at home. There is a famous quote by an Army Green Beret team leader who said, I want men with me on a mission that are more afraid of failure than of death. You don't find that thought pattern regarding a job in civilian life. And that really is the essence of why 
we need to honor those who did commit themselves to that kind of mindset on Memorial Day, simply because that's a job like no other. There's nothing that really compares to that. And it's important for us to remember that. Now, why is this holiday important to me? Well, the men and women who serve with me and who suffer with me in the training become closer to you than real brothers or sisters. The danger in combat seals this bond permanently. I lost eight of my brothers in Vietnam. They were all between the ages of 19 and 25. My son, Zachary, who is the epitome of the professional soldier, also a Purple Heart recipient, meaning he was wounded in combat. He lost two brothers in, in Iraq when he served there. What would these young men have done with their lives if they had lived? What would they have accomplished? What children would they have raised? We'll never know, simply because they're gone just too early. There seems from time to time to be a disconnect between the U.S. civilian population and those who serve in the military, the one percenters, as the military call themselves, since less than 1% of our total population is on active duty in the military. We really owe them everything. What impact did it have on my life? I was the stereotypical teenager with no money and no direction in high school. The U.S. Army saved me by providing that income, direction, discipline, and motivation to do better. I really owe the, the Army and the military everything. Do I have any words of wisdom? <laughs> the four things I would like to mention to avoid saying to a veteran on Memorial Day. Don't wish anyone a happy Memorial Day. This is not Christmas. Memorial Day is not founded in joy. If you want to say something, try this. I will be taking a moment this weekend to honor those that served our nation and are no longer with us. Don't disregard its importance, the day itself. Don't forget it exists. And don't let politics keep you from rendering respect. Lastly, it's okay to thank an active duty service member for their service on Memorial Day. I personally say, Thank you for your sacrifice, but just be aware that Memorial Day is not their day, and they will fully acknowledge that. That's very impactful, what you just shared. I have to admit that when I was a teenager during the Vietnam War, I was one of those who protested. Protested, exactly. Sure. I didn't understand then what I understand now. And especially since I've moved to Florida, where McDill is, and there's so many military families here, and I finally get it. It took me probably till my 50s to understand what it's really like for the families to have somebody in the military, to lose somebody. And like you said, their brothers who were 19 to 25, they're so young, so young. I know that when I was protesting, it was because I couldn't understand the idea of war to keep our country safe. I know that people are going to listen to this and there'll be lots of A's and nays, and I don't want to get into a political discussion. But the thing is, since I've lived through 9-11, we need people who are going to protect us, just yes. regular people. So thank you. Thank you for sharing that. Can you talk a little bit about the service piece that you do that you're involved with? 
I do a Facebook page for the U.S. Army Special Forces Chapter 60 here in Tampa. The Special Forces chapters are all around the world. There's chapters in many foreign countries, and they all represent men who, at, at this point in time, uh, the Special Forces soldiers are all men. There's, there hasn't been any females yet to qualify. What does it take to qualify? Why is there not it's, a woman it's in that? a very long, arduous process. The dropout rate from beginning to end is maybe 93%. So very few, even the men, can't can qualify. Is it a physical process, like becoming a seal? It's a physical and mental process. There's, there's a lot of difficult training. When I say difficult, I'm, I'm talking strenuous where you have sleep and food deprivation going on a long, long period of time. It takes almost a year of round-the-clock training to qualify for that particular title. Consequently, it's, it's, a, it's a very small group. There's probably less than 10,000 uh, in the entire military, and, and uh, you know, we're talking millions. It's a very small group. My administrative abilities seem to have come out as a Facebook manager because I have gone from zero followers to 61,000 as of today. It's a very amazing process to see as people come on board. I see sons and daughters talking about fathers and mothers and guys that didn't know where Joe was connect after 50 years of being separated just via our Facebook page. And it's so rewarding to see the camaraderie build up again because people are finding other people that knew either their father or their brother or something and, and spent time with them in training or in combat and they share stories about it. And it's just an amazing process to see. Yeah, that's, that's a, a very... A big part. I'm also the chairman of the scholarship committee where we fund scholarships for our members and their families every year for higher education. We manage that. We do fundraisers for that. And like I said, uh, for the last, I think it's now 26 years, we've been issuing scholarships for college and, and even trade schools for a lot of the, uh, the younger even now, grandchildren of some of our members. That's a big part of things that, that I do uh, with it. How wonderful that you do that. That's pretty incredible. Yeah, it is. What was the natural steps that took place to get you involved at that level? Because I assume you were working, were you always in the military? Or once you left, did you have another job? And then how did you keep this piece on yes. the side? or? Yes. So initially, I left the Army after I left Vietnam. Quite frankly, it didn't last long because I missed it so much. So I said, okay, instead of going back active duty again full time, let me try the Reserves or the National Guard. That's how I got involved with the Special Forces because they had a, a unit that was recruiting Vietnam veterans that were uh, former paratroopers that they tried to train up both mentally and physically to the new special forces environment. 
just a, a little background on special forces. They, they are the ones that actually went into Afghanistan first after 9-11. And they went in small teams, 12 men at a time. And they, with the help of air power that the U.S. had there, they conquered the Taliban in less than two months. Less than maybe 400 men took over the whole country and beat the, the enemy very, very quickly. That concept was something that the army said, you know, instead of having these mass divisions with thousands and thousands and thousands of men and tanks and everything else, why don't we try to leverage the unconventional warfare skills of the Army Green Berets, which is what, uh, what we, we do. That's how I got involved with the Reserve and National Guard part of Army Special Forces. I was working full-time in a, a management capacity in a financial services company, but just about every weekend I was training as soldiers, jumping out of planes. I was on a scuba team for a while, so we did uh, dive training from aircraft, and uh, we jumped uh, with scuba gear, uh, with parachutes. When we landed in the ocean, we would then ditch the parachute and put on the scuba gear and continue the mission underwater. It, uh, it was an amazing 12 or 13 years that I spent uh, doing that. Thank you for sharing that. It's very impressive. Thank you. What is your Facebook page? What is it called? How can people find you? Sure. It's uh, Special Forces Association Chapter LX. LX is Roman numerals for 60. So Special Forces Association Chapter LX. Thank you. Is there anything else you would like to add? To touch on, because you have a background in this, it's interesting. The war protesters back in the 60s, it's interesting that, quite frankly, a lot of the soldiers fighting in Vietnam shared some of the ideals of the protesters. They thought that particular war was wrong. But regardless, they committed themselves to listening to their government. The government said, you're going to go over here and you're going to fight these guys. And they went and did it at the risk of their own lives. So even though they mentally maybe, in many cases, not all cases, disagreed with that, I think the, the word communism was being much more overused to the degree that it influenced a lot of bad behavior by our government. They were ready and willing to fight anywhere on the planet to slow that particular philosophy down. And while Vietnam might not have been the same caliber of communism that Russia was or that China was, it was still an opposing view to the United States. Yes, fighting in that environment was very, very difficult, but uh, these men who unfortunately were treated very badly when they came home did their job anyway. As opposed to today where the young men and women fighting in Iraq and Afghanistan are treated very well. They're honored and respected. I really applaud that. I agree with you. And we're just in a different time and age. Yep, we are. And, and I are. think, I would like to think that most of us have learned to be more respectful and to honor those in uniform because we understand the importance of what they do. Yes. All right. 
John, I want to thank you so much. This was so interesting. It was great. And you are, you're really a good speaker and you gave a lot of important information. So thank you. Thank you. Thank you for your time, Mona. I really respect you and I, I, I really like what you do. So very, very nice of you to do this. John, it was my pleasure. Thanks for listening today. I hope you enjoyed it. As always, I would appreciate your sharing this podcast with your friends and family. If you are on Instagram, please click and follow me. If you're listening on SoundCloud, give me a thumbs up and write a comment. This podcast is available pretty much on any podcast platform. Sometimes you have to search stories from A to Z with Mona P., and sometimes just A to Z with Mona P. But keep on trying, you will find it. I'm always looking for new people to interview. If you would like to share a part of your life or you know someone who would, please contact me. Remember, everyone has a story to tell.